Well, what a journey we've been on. The whole of Revelation. We've spent 12 weeks in this incredible book, haven't we? And we started with this open door, which was an invitation from God to come on in and to see exactly what he's doing behind the scenes. God wants us to step out from our, from our comfortable and safe and quiet Christianity and to step out from the crowd and to join him behind the scenes, to see how things work, to see what's going on in the world, to see what's going on in the heavens, to see what's going on in our lives. And it is absolutely fantastic. We've seen some incredible things, haven't we? In Revelation 4 and 5, we were caught up into the very throne room of God, where we saw, remember, God sitting on his throne in the center, and all these living creatures, and 24 elders, and thunder, and lightning, and rainbows, and gems, and it's a spectacular image of God who is worthy to receive glory and honor and praise because he made everything, and by his will sustains everything. And then remember, our attention shifted to this lamb. A bloody lamb who had been slain, who was called the Lion of Judah, who was slain for the sins of the world so that people from every tribe and tongue and nation could come on in. And we've seen, haven't we, as God's plan for salvation and judgment has been unraveled, all sorts of things, really encouraging truths and really hard truths. We've thought about God's wrath that we rightly deserve for our rebellion against him. And yet we've thought about his immense mercy in sparing us through his son. And so tonight we land at the very end of Revelation. And it is utterly spectacular. I hope tonight as we, as we experience these truths that they're not just intellectual things that you learn. But oh man, I'm praying that these warm your hearts. As you leave this place, our souls are just full of joy and gladness and expectation for what God is going to bring about. So to that end, let's come now and pray that God, we pray that you would do this, that you would give us joy and a sense of wonder and marvel and amazement as we see your new creation coming. Please, Father, may we lose the distractions of this life, whatever we've been through this week, and please may we fix our eyes on you now. May we lift up our eyes and see you clearly. And Father, we know that the enemy would love to get in and disrupt and take these precious truths away from us. Please may he not, please may spirit give us understanding and power to live it out. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, who was slain, the lion and the Lamb. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to read, we're going to read both these chapters, chapters 21 and 22. It's going to take a while, but I don't want you to sit as a chore. I want you to, to just sit back, let your shoulders drop, and enjoy these truths. If you want, close your eyes so you can imagine some of the things that are being described here, if it helps you, or read along with me. But but let's just try and get our minds and our hearts into this place. We've been all the way through Revelation, and here we go, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like the glory of, its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper, and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, agate, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, onyx, the sixth, ruby, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I didn't see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone 
who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophet, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, and the, and, and the one who saw these things, and when I had seen, when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, don't seal up the words of this prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they've done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside of the dogs, the, uh, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I'm the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which is described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. You can join in for the last bit. Amen. I feel like I could just sit down now. But I wonder what your, what your view is of heaven. When I, when I was growing up, my, my kind of understanding of heaven was, was, was this kind of far away, ethereal bliss, where perhaps you're on a cloud, you know, the classic thing, on a cloud with little tiny squishy babies playing harps. It's weird. I don't want to be there, really. That's, that's our kind of image of it, isn't it? It's far away, it's distant. The earth has been destroyed. And, and, and we're there, we're like, 
I don't know, we're just there and we just sit there. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't know what we did. That was my kind of understanding of heaven. And, and you get these kind of classic Sunday school songs. Here's one um, from a popular band that says this. There's a place for me in heaven, a beautiful truth I can believe in. You might know this. This great thing I know, the Savior's on the throne. There's more to this life. It's supernatural. I'll set my heart on things eternal. This great thing I know, the Bible tells me so. Heaven, heaven, forever is our home. Heaven, heaven, forever is our home. Now I'm going to say something, and here's, here's the truth that I want you to hear. Heaven is not the Christian's final destination. Heaven is not the final place where Christians will go. I used to think it was like we'd go to heaven. And that, and that would be it. I'd be there on the cloud playing a harp with some babies. Heaven is not a Christian's final destination. Because there's something even better than heaven. And it's here. This marriage of heaven and earth combined. Where God comes down a real place with real people and characterized by God's presence. So that's what I want us to do. We're just going to look at those three things. A real place, real people characterized by God's presence. All in these scriptures. We'll think about what it means for us and then we're done. Is that right? So let's think about that first one. A real, a real place. There's, there's loads of references in here to this city, isn't there? In, in chapter 21, verse 10, it's described as a, as a city. It's got gates and walls in verses 12, 13, 14. It's got, it's got foundations in verse 19. There's a, there's a river that runs through it in chapter 22, verse 1. There's, there's trees that bear fruit in this city. This is a real place. Remember this image that we thought about in Revelation 4? This throne room of heaven is coming down. To a real place. This is not a metaphor. This is real. And the descriptions here that John gives us is unlike any other that we've seen in the rest of Revelation. This is established in reality. Because I used to think that, funny, you know, the earth would gradually get worse and worse and worse and worse. And eventually, God would just kind of give it over to the devil and he can get on with his stuff on the earth. I don't know, maybe destroy it. I don't know. And then heaven would be over here. Yeah, you sometimes think like that. Like earth is it's destroyed, it's done with them. Heaven's over here. But I love this because God doesn't let the enemy have his way on earth. No, he removes the enemy. And he says, no, this is mine. Put this pole in, this flag in. And he says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to earth. And it's, it's mine, it's truly mine. Everything, everything bad is going to be banished away. Not heaven, that's not going to be a way. No, this heaven and earth together. A new heavens and a new earth together. Described as this marriage of heaven and earth. God doesn't give up on this world to the enemy. But he reclaims it because it's his. So think of every good thing that you experience in this life. Every beautiful view that you stand and look at. And you're like, oh. 
and times it by billions. With everything evil removed, perfection in this beautiful place with God at the center on his throne. But it's not just a place, it's also massively about people, real people, isn't it? We, we saw that as we read through this, people here, God's people. And I love this verse in chapter 21, verse 24. Let's read it, chapter 21, verse 24. It says this, The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. And it goes on to say in verse 26, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. And I've often wondered what that means, what it's it's talking about. And and maybe, perhaps it's talking about those who are reigning with Jesus, describing them as kings, perhaps. Or perhaps it's talking about these, the, the, the first century kings that they had who used to kind of dictate the culture or set the tone for the culture around them. But either way, there's something here about that every good thing in humanity, from every different culture and diverse people groups that we have in this world throughout all history, everything good and brilliant will be brought into this new, perfected heaven and earth situation. That is the best of culture, the best of diversity, the best of anything in this world that you can think of beautifully displayed in this new world. And one culture or one people type cannot do this on their own. God has created this this beautiful mixing pot of all sorts of people to bring together the best of humanity brought into God's perfected world. I love this quote. I love a guy called Matt Chandler. And uh, he quotes this guy, Anthony Hukima, who says this. I love this. Have a listen to this. The possibilities that now rise before us boggle the mind. Will there be better Beethovens on the new earth? Better Rembrandts? I think he's an he's a artist, isn't he? Yeah, some people are nodding, I don't know. Better Raphaels? I don't know who that is. Shall we read better poetry? Better drama? Better prose? Will scientists continue to advance in technological achievement? Will geologists continue to dig out the treasures of the earth? And will architects continue to build imposing and attractive structures? Will there be exciting new adventures in space travel? And he goes on. Now, I don't know what you think about that, but but it helps us understand that this is going to be a real place with real people, right? Humanity is not just going to be sat there on a cloud playing the harp. I I didn't even know how to play the harp. This is going to be real. We're serving Jesus. The Garden of Eden gives us tastes of what this will be like. We're called to work aren't we? To tend to the garden. There's cities here, there's buildings, there's rivers, there's trees, there's foliage, there's there's life. And so our small, narrow view of this new thing that God will bring about is nothing compared to what the scriptures describe it as. Real place, real people. This is reality. Chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. 
and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. This is a place of life, not death, joy, not sorrow, life. Chapter 21, verse 1 says, there was no longer any sea in this city. Remember, sea, we thought about this before in Revelation, was a, was a sign to the Jews of chaos and disorder. I'm sure you can think of numerous Bible stories where the sea is a chaotic thing. And here there's none of that. No chaos, no drama, no episodes of Love Island, the new creation. Utter bliss and perfection. This is the reality that God promises. Chapter 21, verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Why? Because the old order of things has passed away. You see, there's no death in this place. There is life. There is no disease in this place. There is no cancer in this place. There is no crying and wailing and mourning in this place. Try and imagine that. We can't. The worst, everything of the worst in this world, the hurt, the hate, the rebellion, the sickness, the death, the sorrow, the persecution, all will be done away with. There will be no more. Can you imagine that? Utter bliss. Chapter 21, verse 5. Uh, 25, on that day will its gates ever be shut. There's a city and they've got the gates and they're open wide. Why? Because no one's coming. The enemy's done with. There's no risk. There's no opportunity. There's, there's no one coming. So these gates are open why? It's a safe place. No fear for safety. Women, you can walk down the street free from the horrible stuff that you face nowadays. Can you imagine this? This is a beautiful, beautiful place with God at the throne and his people there living real life in the name of Jesus. And what's this place characterized as? It is filled with God's presence. Chapter 21, verses 2 and 3. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And be their God. The ultimate goal of everything now. All that humanity is longing for. And searches for. Is the presence of God. And we long to fill our lives now, don't we? Trying to, trying to stuff our lives to try and fulfill this goal, this desire that we have. But here it is perfectly fulfilled. God with his people, his people with God and his Beautiful, dwelling together. Chapter 21, verse 22. I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. If you were to say that to, to the Jews, they would think, you're crazy. The temple is where you meet with God. It's where sins are atoned for. 
And here there's no temple. Why? Because God and the Lamb are the temple. The temple was the dwelling place of God, remember. Here it is again. God dwelling with his people. In fact, the whole description here of this city is like a cube, isn't it? Did you see that? 12,000 stadia, long, wide, and tall. It's a cube, which is exactly like the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament temple. It was a cube shape. It's like the entire world is the Holy of Holies that no woman or man could ever step foot in, apart from once a year a priest who had done a whole bunch of stuff to make himself clean. But now God says, come on in. This is heaven and earth colliding and creating a space where God perfectly and intimately and beautifully dwells with his people, not far off anymore, but near. In verse 25, uh, chapter 22, verse 5, there will no, be no, uh, no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun, for they, the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This isn't clouds and harps. This is purpose. This is reigning and ruling the earth like we were meant to in Eden. Under God's rule and reign. So if you think, wouldn't it get boring? Clouds and harps would, yes. This would not. We've got purpose. We've got work to do. We've got cities to build. We've got space to explore. All centered around God's presence. And, and, and I love this verse, chapter 22, verse 4. They will see his face. Don't you just long for that? When the doubts kick in and you're like, is, like, is this real or am I a nutter? Now on this day I will see it face to face. Not even Moses could see God face to face. God walked by and he was like, I'll show you the, the passing of my jacket. You'll see God face to face. I imagine we'll bow down and worship with our faces flat to the floor. This place is characterized by the very presence of God. And as you stand there and you look him in the eyes, there will be no condemnation there will be no, oh, but what about that? There will be no questioning of you. But you know you did that thing. There will be no second thoughts. There will be no, oh, let me just check the records. No, God will say, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You've stuck at this life. And you've messed up so much. <laughs> but my son has covered it all. And so come on. I oh, think you just long for that day. You will see him face to face. What conclusion can we bring? Chapter 22, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. 
And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Did you see this? I think I saw this for the first time this week. It's not just the Spirit saying, come Lord Jesus, make this happen. The bride also says, come Lord Jesus, make this happen. The church, God's people, it's again at the end of verse 20, isn't it? Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon, and the reply is, amen. Come Lord Jesus. This invitation is carried through the world now, through God's people and through God's spirit. And both are required. Perhaps here for you, you've already accepted this invitation to come and drink this living water and be with God in this new place. You are tasked with taking on this invitation to the ends of the world. To the world that God has placed you, to your workplace, to your colleagues, to your friends, to your family, to the stranger on the street. The invitation is for them. Come and sit down. Come and, come and enjoy this And so perhaps our response is, right now, in this life, I'm going to live for that life. I'm going to live now as if this is coming. This is real and and this is significant. I'm not going to live now just with my head to the ground, looking at the things around, but I'm going to look forwards to this place, and this place is going to set the tone for my entire life now. I'm going to live for this because I know there's something more, something bigger, something better. And so which reality are you going to live in? If if, if you're a Christian, you're going to to settle for this head-to-the-ground, quiet Christianity that the enemy would love as you just sleep, hush, hush, as you just hibernate. Or are you going to say, no, put your foot down. So I'm going I'm to live as a Christian in this world. I'm going to take risks. I'm going to be known as a Christian. People are going to know I'm a Christian by the way I live, by the way I speak, by, by the decisions I make, by the words that come out of my mouth. People are going to know it. It's risky. People might hate me. But I'm going to take a risk. Why? Because I think this reality is coming. And I'm going to live for it now. And I'm going to take this invitation to the rest of the world, whatever it costs me. Lord, I'm laying down my life, and I'm saying, here, use me. In my work as a nurse, use me. In my, in my family, as I care for my children, as a stay-at-home mother, use me, Lord. As I go to the office, as I, as I clean the house, as I do my hobbies, use me, Lord. Let me be the one who takes this invitation to the rest of the world and say, come. Come on. I want to tell you about this. But don't let the enemy in. Lull you into a sleep. And perhaps for you, you've been sleeping for too long and you know it. You know it. Like we, we all know, if we're honest, hand on heart, we all know the thing. That if we just confessed it to the Lord or if we gave it up or if we said no to that, then perhaps we could go all out for him. And we know that. We, don't, we know the hurdle that we've got in front of us, probably. And perhaps the day, today's the day that you think, no, I'm going to... God, I'm going to come and I'm going to give you my all. This is it. This is the moment. And I can stand here and I can shout my head off at you. But that, that's ultimately not going to change our hearts, is it? 
We must pray, Lord, by your spirit, please change me. So that we're not just hearers of the word, but that we're doers of the word. Not hypocrites, but those who people look at and see something different. And so you must believe that what God says about you is true. That he's put his spirit in you. That he's cleansed you of your sin fully and freely. That he's given you life and meaning and purpose now that is beyond anything you can imagine. And that he is calling you to this place one day that is perfect. And I'm going to live now in light of that. I'm not just here for a program. I'm not just here to spectate. I'm going to step out from the crowd. Tonight's the night, God. Not just today, but forever. Because I don't just want us to be like quiet, quaint little Christians. You you know, people who look at and they're like, no. No, let's make hell nervous, shall we? Let's let the enemy flee. So that when people look at the church, they're like, wow. They are known for their love and their truth. And I want to know that. I want to know that God but you must believe what God says about you is true. And perhaps for you, as we've been going through the book of Revelation, you've thought like, I'm not there yet. I haven't, I haven't accepted this invitation for myself to drink from this life-giving water that Jesus offers. Perhaps tonight the Spirit is convicting you. You've been running away from him. And tonight's the night that you come back. You say, Lord, I'm yours. I don't perfectly have everything sorted out in my mind or my heart or my life. But this is me. And I'm coming and I want, I, want, I want this life. I want this place. Know that when you do that, God is standing with open arms and he will welcome you in because of Jesus. The final thought of Revelation I think it's in chapter 21, verse 7, where it says this, those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God. And they will be my children. Why don't you close your eyes? And just if tonight you, if you feel like you I'm a Christian, but I've been sleeping and I've been believing the lies of the enemy and this is me and tonight I want to I wanna change, I want to give my life over to this purpose, to this meaning, to this calling. Then this might make you uncomfortable, but can I just ask you to put a hand in the air? Everyone's got their eyes closed. Just put a hand in the air and say, yeah, this is, this is me. And I'm tonight, God, coming back and I'm saying, I want to live for you the whole of my life. Put your hands down. I pray for these brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would bless them on their journey, that you would equip them with the power of the Spirit to lay down their lives and take up the life you've given them. And perhaps for you here tonight, you've never believed this. You've never had this life. And you want to come tonight and you you want to lap it up. Can I ask you to just put your hand in the air if this is you if, you, if you are coming tonight and saying, I'm coming to the foot of Jesus and saying, this is my life. Please forgive me. Please change me. 
hands down. Father, I pray for these precious people that you would continue to amaze them with Jesus. That our eyes would be taken off of ourselves and up onto you. Lord, for all of us, as we've been through this journey, we pray that the enemy would not take these truths from our hearts, but would would make them real. And that we would live by them. We need your help, Lord. So we humbly ask you to work in us and to change us.